Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast with my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should take as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. Ultimately, you know, inflation bad for bonds. So, you know, it's not the place to be. I'm not sure where the other place to go is, but I know this place is not good. We don't instantly go from inflation, oh, we've tipped it into a recession. Yeah. Now inflation magically disappears yeah. because a recession is fixing inflation. That's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. But if we think about what we were saying last episode, mm. the war hadn't even started yet. I know. Do you think that we um, got the probability wrong on that one? Do you reckon that we um, misassessed that? Or do you reckon it was just a really unusual, um, unlikely event that happened? That's the question that I can't really work out. Well, I think we shallowly thought about it. And we we quickly came to the conclusion that, look, even if it does happen, it's still, it's going to make inflation worse. Yeah. Yeah. And the American people... Yes, it's a shock, but they eventually everybody gets back to caring about what affects them. Yeah. And the American people are going to be more affected by inflation than the the war in Ukraine. Exactly. Yeah. But it was certainly a very stressful and shocking 24 hours, wasn't it? Like when we first, I got that news, the first time I saw it on Twitter, like two o'clock in the afternoon, that they just started bombing the city. Like you said, like, you just don't think that's going to happen in this day and age that someone's going to actually start doing something as crazy as that. No. But, you know, turns out people are crazy enough to do stuff like that. Yeah. What's well, what's even crazier, though, is that it, like, it looks like he's miscalculated today. Eh? Like, it looks like he can't even, can't even take the country and, you know, like... Yeah, just... I know. Insane. Well, it feels like ages ago that the war actually kicked off. Hmm. That... When did that happen? Was that a month just, ago? Just over, just over a month ago, yeah. And that yeah. was crazy that when that happened. That was such an emotional week because, like, we're obviously holding our bond short. You don't want to be holding a flight to safety scenario yeah. where everyone thinks World War Three is kicking off. We had to seriously consider yeah. potentially exiting the trade yeah. and being like, well, this this is taking a turn that we are not qualified for. We don't know enough about geopolitics. Exactly. Um, so we really just, you know, we just hodled for the, huh. we, we hodled for the night on the fact that big perspective, we have to stay in the minds of what's going to affect Americans mm. in the coming months more yeah. and, and what the Fed, if the Fed is going to... Change course. Yeah. Yeah. And... I think the 30-year yield, which is kind of what I'm mostly mostly watching, even though our um, the ETF that we're short, TLT, the average duration is about 20 years. So you think like maybe you should be looking at the 20-year bond, but the 20-year bond is like a, a quite a weird bond. Like it hasn't been out for a long time, I don't think. And the trading is a bit unusual. Like the trading, the yield for the 20-year bond is actually higher than the 30-year bond, which is kind of strange. Mm. And when I looked at the, the past price correlations between bond prices and, you know, things like mortgage rates and the TLT price, the 30-year was seen to be what 
affected it the most. But I think the yield on that before the war started was like 225, 2.25%. And then when the war started, like you said before, mm-hmm. there was a massive flight to safety and everyone piled in and it forced the yield down from, I think, 2.25 to like 2.14, I think. So Yes, I remember that night. Yeah, that, that <laughs> night. And that, that basically, pretty sure from memory, that erased like most of the profits we had on the trade yep. at that point. Yeah. And so then we we're facing like, okay, well, is is this war going to cause a depression and an instant recession because everyone's going to freak out? And so that is going to, that would reduce demand. Um, or is it ultimately going to be inflationary? And I don't know. I think I consider things like the, the sanctions would be inflationary because that's mostly why the fuel prices have gone up from what I can tell is that they've, you know, discouraged the world from buying Russian oil that's reduced in, you know, supply coming off the market and that's forced the prices up instantly. But I think that most people haven't probably felt the actual inflation impacts of the grain, you know, in that region not coming out as easily. Well, you figure it probably won't be felt for weeks, if not months, if not, you know, a year from now, like... Who knows, you know? That's that's the start of the supply chain. Like, that's the the very... That's the beginning, yeah. How long does it take from from harvest (laughs) to production to supplies on shelves to inflated prices because of the disruption that has occurred... A month ago, like, so, you, so your uh, your cornflakes are more expensive because yeah. the Ukrainian wheat supply didn't, you know, increase the. They're more expensive, or you just get less of them. You just get less. <laughs> or the government subsidizes it. Or the government subsidizes. <laughs> in which it. case, it just locks in the higher prices. Oh my goodness, it's crazy. But yeah, that was a crazy, crazy night, and we did consider selling the whole position because just because of uncertainty, because it was something that we considered, and I wasn't sure if we'd have time to really get our heads straight and consider like what the ramifications were. Mm. But we basically, you know, apart from being really upset that day, which we were, cause it was very upsetting. Ain't like, I, <laughs> that's when I do my tweet of like, everybody just have a 10 minute cry, get out your emotions. Yeah. Before, and don't just sit there and tweet. No. Like everyone's tweeting <laughs> emotional stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, giving like advice to the military on what they should be doing. Like, no, <laughs> you don't know. We don't know. We're investors, man. Like, you know? Yeah, it's not our area. Just, we're obviously emotional. We've obviously all been shocked. We obviously don't want to be thinking about money at a time when people are getting killed. No. Like, it's a gross thing to have gross. to do. 100%. So, what you have to do is separate that. You have to separate the emotion from the logic and the fact of what... Yeah. To make your decisions off. And unless, there's something that, unless there's something that you can do, like you're in your immediate life that you can help the situation will then get emotional and motivated. But if you can't do anything about it, then no, unless you yeah. are an expert, like you've got an yeah. expertise, yeah. an expert opinion, but yeah. for investors, like just, you've got to stay in the vacuum of your trade and what's, what's going to affect your trade. Yeah, exactly. So we held on, <laughs> we held on, we, we hodled and um, yeah, we're, we're glad we did because the yields um, kind of stayed quite stable through the first week, I think of, when Russia was bombing the heck out of yeah. poor old Ukraine. and um, Bonds were not moving that much. No one no, was pouring into it. Like no. no one knew where to move their money by the no. looks of it. No. But the whole world feels like that at the moment because if we get inflation, it's like, well, where does your money go? Like, obviously, logically, into commodities, but, you know, I'm not sure what the capacity is of the commodity sector, both in, like, the, the ETFs and the... 
like they don't pay a return. So there's a lot of investors just will not invest in like raw commodities because you don't actually get a percentage yield. So I guess you could move into miners and that, but that doesn't feel like as a good, you know, substitute for bonds, which would, I guess, be a point against our bond short thesis. But ultimately, you know, inflation bad for bonds. So, you know, it's not the place to be. I'm not sure where the other place to go is, but I know this place is not good. Um, so, yeah, we're glad we hodled and the yields have recovered. Well, not recovered. The yields have crashed upwards. That's a, that's, yeah, that's the confusing thing about bonds, people. They don't Honestly, get it. we're sitting here. The way we're talking about it, it's kind of like, oh, we're, we're in negative territory on a trade or something. Like, no. it's what, what has it done so far? Um, yeah, it's up about 200% on average. Yeah. yeah, at the moment. But somehow, I don't feel comfortable yet in saying it's working mm, because like we've yeah. had so many periods of where it's gone the opposite way. Exactly. Um, but it's kind of hit a threshold now of like mm. real abnormal. It's hit above 2.6. Yeah. Yeah. It peaked at two, you know, this, which doesn't sound like a lot to people because you know, like, Oh, well 2.25 to 2.64. Like what's the big deal? That's not very different in percentage terms, but that's a massive, massive, massive move historically for the bond market and fixed income and I, I've yeah exactly fixing it it's usually very stable much more stable than that and um I saw somewhere I think that the size of the moves hasn't been seen like this in the bond market since 1994 which was the last time there was a bond crash so yeah and that kind of fits with what Bullard just recently said which is what their their tightening cycle 94 is a good model to go off yeah what to expect <laughs> yeah. i think multiple fed um people have said that now yeah that 94 is a good model to go off which you know that's like people who are investing in housing saying well you know it's a good model we're going to go off 2007 it's like no, no you don't want to you, you don't want to hear that you know the chief of the housing company saying we're out in a 2007 style <laughs> Not good area yeah so it's it's a very sad situation obviously with the war and everything but nothing we can do about it unfortunately so just trying to focus on the the numbers in front of us and uh it's um going going well so far and definitely people like you see it on like cnbc and on bloomberg and stuff people are starting to develop arguments mm. that oh, actually you know there's a lot of reasons why inflation will you know go on for longer and it's probably because of deglobalization. And it's probably because of decarbonization. And like all of a sudden there's, there's like arguments springing up to explain what's like already happened, which um, is quite funny to see because I'm starting to, I never really watched much of the sort of trendy financial news over the years. But because of this whole inflation thing, it's been so important to understand what the average investor is like thinking about yeah. on this topic. I think we've watched a lot more of it. And I've really seen how, like I think Jim Bianco, who's like a, a person that we would like quite a lot, um, he called it now casting. You know, like people are like that they tell present as if it's like a recent prediction they've made, even though when you go back like two weeks, they were saying the opposite. Yeah, they were saying they were kind of subtly hinting towards the opposite, mm-hmm. and now they're kind of subtly hinting to the current market sentiment. And in a month's time, they'll be saying whatever everyone else is saying. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah, the, the game is not to 
give accurate predictions to the gamers to make sure your clients don't think that you're stupid so they pull their money off you. Yeah, so yeah. you currently sound like what everyone else is saying at the moment. Exactly, exactly. Which probably means that you'll never be right. <laughs> yeah, that's not like, that's not what Buffett talks about. You know, Buffett talks about like analyzing a situation, you know, understanding it really well, sticking your circle of competence sticking in your spot and just swinging really hard when something feels in your sweet spot. Like that's not how these people are. <laughs> these people are like swinging at everything. Every ball that comes, they've got a, a specialist swing that's going to be perfect for that ball. But if, you know. <laughs> hey, that's what I wrote in my recent article. The macro man with a hammer, every chart looks like he's nailed it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. I'm going to plug you right now. You ready for this? Yeah, go. First ever Cass plug. If you think that our podcast is good, Cass <laughs> writes these incredible macro um, economic, but they're, they're fun. Like they're, you know, they're hilarious. They're, they're full of gifts. You know, she's got articles full of gifts and basically going through a lot of like the things that we're researching and going through and talking about them in more detail. Cause you know, I always forget to talk about certain aspects, but when you write an article, you kind of go through it all very... Oh, yeah. you got to link thought to thought. You can't have any God of the gaps. No, definitely not. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, back to the macro macro thing. So, that's, like, been pretty fascinating to see eh, about yeah, the experts. And that's what your article's about too, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Careful who you follow. Like, if, if people confuse you and you think, oh, boy, they're smart, you know, it's... That's not a good sign if someone's confusing you. Yeah. You know, maybe they are smarter than you, but maybe they're not and they're just trying to hide that fact and they can get more follows and then they can sell more research. Like, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're bad people or anything. It's just, you know, when, when you're doing something as important as trying to compound capital so you can do something good in the world, you know, like it's a bit like listening to like the most beautiful saying doctor, not like the doctor who's like, got the best track record. Like Nassim Taleb's talked about that. He's like, you want, you don't want the best looking surgeon. You want like the gruffest most, like if, if he's got like a stay on his shirt, that's good because he has succeeded as a surgeon despite looking and being like that. <laughs> and that's kind of what you, what you want. And well, that wouldn't have gone well with the whole Dr. Death story. No, that's true. <laughs> Didn't that guy just have like rips in oh, all yeah. of his... Oh yeah, that's a huge flaw in that that's argument. That's a terrible... <laughs> that's... <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Oh, God. Nassim Taleb debunked. <laughs> Nassim Taleb debunked. Yeah. No, but generally, it's, it's probably right. Don't the guy's probably, probably right. right. Probably right. Yeah. But that's funny because... I was just saying, sorry. The, yeah. the, the, the reason why we had this opinion now is because with the whole inflation thing, we went through so many... We Because you're a lot more rigorous than me with your investment thinking. So I, I'm good with big ideas and I'm good with seeing things from the kind of larger point of view. Mm. But then you are incredibly rigorous at going through all of the implications of what we think is going to happen and researching all of those. Mm. Um, so then we obviously went through every argument that we could find against our like very strong belief that inflation was not transitory and that inflation needed higher interest rates to solve it mm-hmm. and that would involve all bond um, yields rising and the Fed would want them to rise because they have no choice. Um, so we then, for everyone who was thinking the opposite, which was like everybody else, everybody yeah. everybody else, we then went through the best arguments we could find. And a lot of the best arguments were from 
you know, people who do like put out macro research and they sell macro, they sell subscriptions to their research and, um, you know, they sound really convincing and they sound really intelligent. And, um, after going through some of these things, we realized like, this is really, really confusing, Mm. but actually the core of what they're saying is not very confusing. It's actually quite simple. So why was it put in such a confusing way? Mm. You know, and unfortunately, I think that when you're trying to convince people with millions of dollars to pay you for research, you have to sound really smart. Not necessarily your ideas are correct, but you have to sound really smart. And I think people really associate smart with complexity. And I don't think it's a good a good thing to associate. I think that if, if your idea is correct, you should be able to put it forward quite simply. Well, or at least when you dig into it mm. and dig into their complexity, the foundation of it makes sense Yeah. on a, a logical, reasonable basis. Mm. And it just happened so many times when we looked into this stuff and it doesn't make logical sense because all those arguments didn't account for inflation yeah. or or backdating to a period in history where there was inflation. Yeah. Which changes everything. Exactly. You know, why would you use comparisons for times of history when there was no inflation? When we have inflation, why not you look at periods in history where there was inflation and that way you can sort of understand roughly what's likely to happen. Yeah. You know, seem pretty reasonable. It's kind of, you know, you got to think about the reasons behind these actions that have occurred in the past. Yeah. So going back to a previous time in history where the Fed hiked rates, you have to look at why they were hiking rates mm-hmm. and the reason matters. Yeah. Because if that's going to, if they're going to stop in their hiking process, yeah. well, why did they stop last time? And will they stop for the same reason this time? Don't compare time periods that had no inflation with now, which has loads of inflation. It's pretty simple. It's yeah. like, you know, but that's that doesn't seem to work because if you do that, then you get only one answer, which is that rates have to go up. And if you're selling a whole bunch of macro expensive macro research to people, they're probably not going to pay you as much if you tell them what they don't want to hear. And I think that's why I got this idea. I was like, this is preposterous. Like, this makes no sense. But then if you like the virus, because, you know, who wants to be told that, hey, there's this virus coming and yeah. your travel company is going to zero and your positions are probably too big to be liquidated this quickly so you can't even do anything about it, but here's some bad news. Oh, and like, also, you know, like, you know how I said six months ago that inflation was transitory mm-hmm. and don't worry about it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. Yeah, I think some some people have come out and, like, admitted that they were wrong, but the vast majority of people just kind of pretend they never said it. And, you know, I think that that's pretty disingenuous. Like, you have to own it when you stuff up and like we we stuff up all the time you know so i think we're pretty and i think because we have like because we're clear i guess about what our positions are and what our beliefs are and we kind of stand behind what we're saying our money is behind what we're saying so i feel comfortable talking like as strongly as we do because ultimately we believe it and our money is in you know allocated in that in that way but if you're having these like really strong opinions do you even have a position like how much of your net worth is in in the position? You know, you're telling people how to invest their money. Like, surely you should have some skin in the game. Yeah. Um, it's a really serious thing that you're talking about. It's not like, and that's why I compare it to like a doctor. 
in a way. Like you don't want to listen to the doctor who's like the most beautiful at talking because actually the doctor death guy, he was fantastic at communicating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there you go. <laughs> like you need two measures. That's need two what I'm measures. saying. You need two measures. Don't just go for the guy with the holes in his scrubs. <laughs> Don't just go with the he guy. He could just be a homeless dude yeah, off the street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the guy with the holes in his scrubs is also a slick talker, then run a mile. <laughs> That's what you should... Yeah. Anyway. But, yeah. We, we spent a lot of time going through all these arguments and we're like, damn it, you've wasted our time. <laughs> Pretty much. So we're cheesed a little bit. Yeah. But... Still good to exercise the brain. I still learned a lot, obviously, you know, going through the arguments. It's good for you. But, uh, yeah, we could have just gone to the beach or something. Yeah. So we've covered the war, covered the trade. We've covered our negativity on macro experts. We've covered... <laughs> How about human nature? You got any thoughts on human nature? <laughs> and not the band. Human nature... Just trying to not be a nihilist at the moment, pretty much. I just think that there's been like a massive sentiment change in humanity since COVID. Like I can't get past it. Hmm. Everyone is just everyone who serves you anywhere who's in a job is so unhappy. Yeah. They're so aware that they're unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Because they used to for for a period there they were at home getting paid to do nothing. And I think now they come back to work. Money's run out for a lot of people and everything's more expensive and they're working. And um, I just can't help but notice now how crap a lot of the jobs people have to do are and how they could be done. They could be unnecessary. Like if people were, yeah. things were a bit more structured and systematized and like you can't get that from some top down plan. You have to get that from entrepreneurs like creating solutions and explain to people how it's like profitable to do something better like that's how you get improvement in the economy the government doesn't do it you know no we're all just people at the end of the day i i don't know if people um appreciate the fact that there isn't a government like there isn't corporations there isn't countries really yeah everything is just people piled together in groups or people for individuals. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's reading that, that Weinstein's book, Hunter Gatherers mm. of the, how to be a hunter gatherer in the 21st century or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our world is just so foreign to what we're built for. Mm. Mm. And it's scary to think that like, we've built something to such a scale that you can't just go back very easily and fix things. And I don't think we've scaled a system built for people's happiness. We've scaled a system for growth and efficiency, but done really poorly. Not taking into account any anything people need to keep them ultimately happy. What what suits us as our biologies and our our human nature and what we need. Yeah, yeah. And there's no it doesn't seem to be much understanding of this in society that people People don't seem to realize that the biology that they have, the, the the way their brain chemicals work to certain stimuli, the kind of relationships they want to form, the way they feel towards other people, all of that biology, all of that, all those mechanics have all been specifically honed for a world that's not our world now. Mm. It's a totally different world. Yeah. Um, 
and I'm not, I'm not even talking about like like oh living in tribes and like you know running in the jungle and spearing things like I'm just talking about like even a few hundred years ago I don't know if it's from the book or from from Brett Weinstein or whatever but the place that you grew up and the people that you were around they're the same people who you kind of grew old with in most cases the town that you were raised in most people spent most of their time in that town and that stability and that kind of reliability of your surroundings and the it's safety a community people community, yeah a, a small or decent sized group of people who actually cared about each other and knew each yeah. other's names yeah exactly and comp- even comparing oneself within a group of 100 people you know for most people if you're comparing yourself in a group of a hundred or a few hundred people, then you would have been especially good at one, one or two things in that group that the group valued you for. But now we compare ourselves to the whole world and like you can get people who are perfectly attractive, feeling depressed that they're not attractive enough and spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Because the absolute best version mm-hmm. is in front of all of us to compare to. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can get you can get massive amounts of men who would have been considered valuable and useful, feeling like they're losers because they're not the best in the world, and you get like this obsessive tendency towards like perfecting things about people, you know, and people yeah not feeling like they're good enough, not feeling like they're smart enough, not feeling like they're enough basically, and then you know creating huge amounts of unhappiness, which is which is really sad, but it's all because the modern world is so much more disconnected than the world of a couple, even a couple hundred years ago that we're built for, you know? So big problems. But I think that there's a chance that, because we heard that saying somewhere, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, something like that. Exactly. And that's not like a man-woman thing. It's just like when there's hard times, it tends to separate things between what's really important and what's not important. And I think that the feeling that probably, I guess maybe most people have had this feeling that when there is a crisis happening, when there is something in your life where like someone's sick or there's some issue that needs to be solved, the mind kind of focuses around it and kind of like, it feels good in a way. Like it feels like meaningful what you're doing, you know, which is probably why some people are like constantly create drama in their life for no reason, because the, the feeling of crisis, I think can be addictive for people. Um, and that's because we probably, it's, it is because we evolved in a world where there was constant suffering and crises and fight and struggle and all of these things, you know, and our brains, you know, evolved to, be at home in that world and that is not the world now we live in like a cushy cushy nerf yeah, world we're pampered crazy but maybe the whole because we haven't really had an economic hard time we haven't had one in australia since the early 90s that's 30 years ago so you know when you know recessions are time when people actually have to work really hard they have to hustle they have to find solutions to problems and make do with less and we can't have any more waste yeah. that's yeah. the problem too much is getting wasted and that's the thing about recessions is they clean out the waste mm. you know and that sounds like a kind of a horrible survival of the fittest thing i guess but 
it, it is what they do. You know, companies that shouldn't survive, they don't survive. And like, we're not, we're not saying bring on a recession no. just to clean up the economy. No. It's, we're saying tackle inflation. Mm. Inflation is the problem. In doing that, that means raising rates. And that means, well, everything in the economy that is wasteful will be getting cleaned out in that process. Mm. But it's a process that needs to happen mm. to tackle that big problem of inflation. So, mm. yeah, that with everyone on the bandwagon of um, oh, the Fed should not raise rates still. The economy is too weak. Because they're going to they're gonna hurt everybody more um, or they'll have to stop and backtrack. If they do that while inflation is still where it's at and not getting better, mm. that will just be stagflation. Like, yeah, we don't instantly go from inflation. Oh, we've tipped it into a recession. Yeah, now inflation magically disappears. Yeah, because a recession is fixing inflation. That's yeah. not how it works. Yeah, recession can happen while inflation is still skyrocketing. Mm. While growth is on a downward spiral, yeah. while unemployment is going up, inflation yeah. can still be going higher. Yeah. It's getting rid of inflation and then tackling the other problems afterwards. Exactly. That's, that's what's been proven from history that needs to happen. Exactly. And the question is, you know, does the Fed understand the mistakes that were made in the 70s? That's the real question. And are they going to repeat those mistakes, which were every time inflation, well, basically that they kept rates constantly below inflation. So if inflation was five, rates were at 3.5. And that just remained year after year. There was a constant lag. And when there was, you know, a recession, so unemployment rose, then they had to, you know, ease off basically, help the economy, make it better. They chose to. Chose to. They thought they had to because, oh, you know, can't fight inflation anymore. We've got unemployment now. Let's mm. let's swap over to that, fix that. That was through the Nixon era. Yeah. That was proven to be wrong. You know, Reagan came in with Volcker. They pushed interest rates higher than inflation. They kept them there. And there was yeah. a big margin between the okay. inflation and the interest rate. Mm-hmm. The interest rate was high above it for a long time. And that really got rid of inflation over a period of years yes and unemployment cranked up yep. there was a lot of pain there was a lot of unhappy people yep but it was necessary that yeah. we can't forget that lesson from history exactly yeah so there wasn't there is another period of history um after the second world war which i've like started looking into a little bit and there are similarities between that period and the period we're in now too you know they had low unemployment as well and they had a lot of a lot of issues coming out of the war with supply they had a lot of problems getting everything they needed so there's there is some similarities there the question here the problem is is that we're going to the situation with huge savings huge capacity to lend bank reserves huge bubbles so huge stores of wealth in both the housing and the stock market so to say that you know the kind of like economy is on its knees is like just flat out wrong. You know, everyone who wants a job has a job. So the situation looks much more similar to the 70s to me. Yeah, so the period after the war, you're talking what the 50s, 60s? From 45 to 50, there was bad inflation, but then it went away by itself. Mm-hmm. 
because they're sort of like... After a war that America fought in? Yeah. Very different. Very different. Culturally. Yeah. Society. Yeah. People's mindsets. People don't want to go back to work. They're being paid to stay at home and they're pissed off. Do they have to go back to work? They're pissed off. All their costs are going up. Mm -hmm. They've not just had their men go off and fight in a war. They've not had to band together as a group Mm -hmm. to solve the problems and and help each other like they did back then in the the 40s. 70s, there was more of a wealth gap. Mm -hmm. There was more rioting. And Mm -hmm. I think the 70s group of people is much similar to today than the 40s. Going into the inflation of the 70s, huge amounts of welfare spending. Huge amounts of government support and government spending, not on war, <laughs> but on promotional programs and to help people. You the know? New Deal. The New Deal. Yeah. Was the New Deal or New Society? New Society, that's new right. Society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, New Society. So huge spending programs, you know. So. To again give the people the feeling of, wow, our life is so great. Look mm. at all the stuff we're just getting. Like, yeah. it's a pampering effect. And yeah. they're getting it and they're not having to work for it because the government's just taken out a loan and they've sprinkled money everywhere. And they're mm-hmm. like, this is what people need. Let's just build it from the top down. Yeah. And that gives people a feeling of you get something that you didn't have to work for. Yeah. And we all know with these government programs, like they don't actually understand what each group of people mm. needs. Yeah. So there's a lot of waste there and there was a lot of waste in the COVID, you know, monetary policy as well. Yeah. There was a lot of waste in... Because it's not targeted to the right area. Yeah. You know, if you're just opening up mass piles of lending for people and companies just as buffers, well, that money's just funneled into assets. Yeah. Like people have just speculated. They haven't taken that money and done anything productive with it. That's too difficult. It's too difficult to take money and then have a plan and then hire people and stuff. It's much better just to funnel it into some asset that's going up in value. Like it's not, it's not good for society. It's just been policy error after policy error, and they're finally starting to fix it. And people being like, "Don't fix it. You're going to cause a recession." Yeah. Well, you're just putting off again. You're just putting off a a needed medicine. Exactly. And another argument that I've seen a lot, which I think is flat out wrong pretty confident about that um heard joseph wang say a very similar thing which gives me a lot of confidence in my own ideas which is that the government is somehow going to go bankrupt or the government's going to struggle or not be able to meet its obligations in some way uh-huh. short term if rates go up um to start with the actual government interest cost as a percent of gdp which is i think the right way to think about it because ultimately the government can raise taxes tomorrow and they can pull money in and no one will have anything to do about it. They're just like, that's it. That's happening now. You know, like that. So that's that's their capacity to suck money out, not to mention their capacity to borrow. You know, they could issue, let's say, $500 billion of tips probably, you know, treasury inflation protected securities, and they could use that money to pay interest on their current loans. And, you know, everyone's still getting paid. Everyone's saying things happening. So... At some point that ends, but we're so far away from that being an issue 
that the main problem is inflation. I think about inflation is it actually increases the government income. Taxes go up. Mm. So it gives more capacity. I think that's, that's the side of the argument that most people are just missing. It's like, yes, inflation raises interest rates and higher interest rates on debt historically would have caused problems. Not when your revenues are going up at a faster rate than your interest expenses. You know, people are not, and margins are expanding in companies. If companies can actually afford to pay the interest, no issue. So. Yeah, everyone's got room. Everyone's got lots of room. Everyone's got capacity. Yeah. And you don't see prices falling and demand falling until we run out of capacity. So, yeah, I think there's a few arguments floating around, as there always has been. Because you have to have some argument, say that rates aren't going high, otherwise you get a panic. Like if you actually, if people actually realize that rates might have to go to like three and a half, four percent on the base rate of the not the not the thirty year bond rate, but the Fed funds rate. They're like, <laughs> put your yeah. money in the put you in the bunny. People the, aren't ready to hear that. <laughs> no, people aren't ready to hear that, and I think I that mean, Bullard just cracked out three percent, but I don't know if anyone's cotton onto that yet. No. I think people don't realize how much a lot of the chatter and a lot of the talk is designed to not create a panic. Mm. So. Oh, well, the minutes are getting released shortly. Yeah. We'll see exactly how they plan to tighten from May. So what the schedule of yeah. potential bond selling and. That'll give us know. a good idea on what we think our hedge will do as well. Mm-hmm. Because. We don't know if there's going to be a moment where everyone moves all at once. Mm-hmm. That'll be the optimum time to sell out of the trade. Or if we're just going to hold this till the end. Like, we really don't know at this point. It's just no. a day-to-day monitoring. Exactly. But while inflation's accelerating and they're still only... They've gone, you know, 25 basis points. Oh, my God. 25 basis points. <laughs> and now everyone's saying, like, Oh, we're doing 50s from now on if inflation is getting worse. And that's freaking everybody out. That's what pushed the bond yields higher. Yeah. You know, um, wait till they start hiking 50 or if they go 75, like there's potential for a panic there for sure. Yeah. For sure. So the hard part with us is we got a time limit on our option. We're almost at that strike price now for TLT. We took the option out. TLT was like 147, I think. And now it's like 128. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, it's on the right track, but I still think that there's a way to go. And um, yeah, we'll keep huddling, eh? Keep huddling. Keep huddling and keep cuddling. Huddle and cuddle. That's what we do. If you got this far, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Now, if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd follower on Twitter, links are in the show notes below. Mitch, anything else? Nothing to add.